So on this day in the church calendar, we celebrate the memory of our Lord's brother, James. So I wanted to speak to you a bit today about James. He's, uh, like the Lord's brothers and sisters, uh, there wasn't necessarily a, a full understanding of who Jesus was, uh, and there was some confusion. And so we heard in the very first of the two gospel readings that we had today, we heard people kind of citing James and uh, the others as kind of reasons not to believe Jesus. We know him. We know his family. We know where he comes from. Where did he get all this stuff? Uh, and so, and they're just kind of using the family actually to just dismiss Jesus. But James seems to have been the very first one among Jesus' brothers and sisters to recognize who Jesus was. And they did. They did ultimately recognize who Jesus was. And James goes on to become the Bishop of Jerusalem and serve in that position for 30 years. He was a devout man. Uh, tradition tells us he was a Nazarite. Uh, and uh, he got the kind of affectionate nickname because he prayed so much of old camel knees. Uh, and he, he served the church faithfully and well preaching and teaching we see him in in the um in the and 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 guiding the church we see him in the um uh, first council uh, the council of jerusalem uh being the one who presents to the church the decision that they had all come to uh, by consensus it seemed good they said to the holy spirit and to us and then they lay very little of a burden upon the gentiles so he was a gracious man. But I think the best way to get to know uh, James is maybe simply by reading his epistle. Because, again, according to tradition, James was the one who wrote the epistle of James. And so, I, while I, won't, I don't think we have time to read the whole thing, I do want to read a good chunk of it with you today and just sort of go through this because, as I say, I think it, it reveals to us not only who James is, but of course, who James loves, who James is uh, in exhorting us to become like. So he begins, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus, uh, or perhaps uh, the, the word in Greek is really slave. He's the brother of our Lord, but he presents himself as a slave to God, and to his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And this may be that he's writing to the, the various uh, um, Jewish Christians who are scattered abroad, or it may be that he's simply addressing this more generally to all of those who follow Christ. Because, of course, as we follow Christ, we, even, even those of us who are Gentiles, are grafted into the people of God. And so we then become a part of this, this 12 tribes scattered abroad, which James is referring to uh, and is addressing in this epistle. My brethren, he says, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a way to start. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Who among us likes trials? We hate trials. They're the things we complain about. They're the worst. Uh, and, and yet, James says, tells us to consider it joy when we fall into these trials. Why? Because he says the testing of your faith works patience. And if you are patient, if you let patience have its perfect work, uh, then you will be perfect and lack nothing. We hear this throughout the tradition. The, 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 the desert father, I think, forget, I think it was Abba Daniel I was quoting the other day, was just talking about how these, these, these things that happen to us that we really don't like, or these struggles that we have that, are, that seem to be, go on forever, we can never really get full victory over them, these are given to us by God for our salvation. We, our job is simply to have patience, to patiently wait and persevere in the midst of these trials, allowing that patience, that waiting on God to, have, to work in us, uh, this perfection, this completion, bringing us, basically making us who we were designed to be in the very first place. He then says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. One of the things that struck me as I was rereading the Epistle of James in preparation for this homily was just how often I end up quoting James. I, like, I have a number of different favorite verses, uh, but as I was going through, it's like, oh, I, I forgot that was in James. and Oh, oh that's in James too. Oh, and, and that one? I, I just like, there's, he's just amazing. He's, it's, James is essentially the New Testament's book of Proverbs. If you want wisdom, James says, ask of God. I think he knows what he's talking about because we see his, the wisdom of God made manifest here in his words. But he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One of the things we also see in James is he has this way of putting things that's actually kind of scary. Uh, You've got to make sure that when you ask of God, you are understanding that you are going to receive what you're asking for. Don't be double-minded. Why does he say? Why does he put it so strongly? Well, I think it's because uh, we know that God wants us to be wise. God is calling us to His divine wisdom, and so if we know that this is what God wants, and then we ask God, you know, "Hey, Lord, I could really use some wisdom," and then think, "Well, no, He's not going to give me any wisdom." Like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you, you just understood God wants you to be wise. 
you've just asked God, please make me, give me some wisdom here. And then you're just, you're not, you're not trusting that God's going to actually follow through on giving you what he wants to give you. Uh, no, <laughs> this is a double-minded man. You'll, you'll be unstable in everything. You need to know God, you need to know who God is and, and put, and we, and, and base our lives on that for, and if we do, that gives us stability. That gives us continuity, that enables us to continue on trusting and, and, and living as God intended uh, to us to live. Then he goes on, let the lowly brother or the poor brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. James is going to go on at more length than this, and I hope we'll get to that. Um, the, the, um, but but it's, it's striking, particularly hearing the other gospel reading that we heard today of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, how much James has to say about the rich and what will happen to them, uh, or rather, how they really do, shouldn't be trusting in their riches, um, and 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 that and he he refers to it as being kind of like you know the beauty of a flower, which you know is beautiful when it's there, and then you come you know then you have a a drought like we've just had in the last little while here, and you you pass by that flower and it's all withered. And it's gone. Riches are temporary. Don't trust in them. In fact, if you're poor, glory in that, he says. Uh, um, Blessed, he says, is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will, he'll, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is fulfilled, brings forth death. Again, a serious warning here. Uh, we... There's, I suppose, this temptation to blame temptation on God. This is what James is addressing. He's like, no, God wants you to be wise. He wants you to be good. Uh, temptation doesn't ultimately come from him. It comes from our own corrupted and twisted desires, which are pulling us away. Uh, and when we allow those desires to, to control us, they become what lead us into sin. Those desires themselves were created good by God and are good if they are used and, and controlled and put in their proper place, used properly. Um, but one of the things I also want to uh, point out here and in a couple of other places, so often there's this artificial opposition uh, placed, uh, uh, set up between Paul, the Apostle Paul and James. And it's, 
it's completely artificial. Didn't we just read here in the epistle of James, the wages of sin is death? And then he goes on to say, for every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is the life, that eternal life, which he has prepared for us from the beginning. You read it here in James. So then, my brethren, my beloved brethren, he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, anyone who's come to me for a confession and has mentioned wrath has probably heard me quote this verse. Because, uh, uh, again, this is one of my favorites. Uh, every man needs to be slow to hear, swift to hear, sorry, <laughs> swift to hear, slow to speak. And he'll elaborate on that. Uh, further, I don't think we'll get to this to that point where he talks about the tongue, the tongue being set on fire from hell. Uh, be slow to speak. This may be a good message for us in our social media age. Be slow to post on Facebook or Twitter. Consider the effect of what you are about to post before you click submit. Be slow to speak and swift to hear. Our natural position as followers of Jesus Christ should be humility. We should be assuming that those around us probably know more about us than all uh, on all sorts of subjects. And if we just listen to them, we might learn a thing or two. If we're talking, we might not be able to hear. We might not be uh, able to learn. And if we, uh, if we get mad, as we so often do <coughs> on Facebook and Twitter, myself included, uh, you know, this is not going to work the righteousness of God. Therefore, he says, lay aside all fil filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Again, he keeps coming up with these phrases which cut to the heart. Don't just be a hearer of the word. That's useless. We need to be a doer of the word. We can have all the riches of the Orthodox Christian tradition at our disposal. 
We can be listening to them day in and day out. But if we don't actually do them, if we don't actually put the teachings of Jesus Christ into action in our lives, it's utterly useless. Kind of like the guy who has the world's best exercise program, but never exercises. Going to do him absolutely no good. The next section, he now really starts to light into, well, not so much the rich people at this point. That comes later. We won't get to that one. <laughs> but, but our response to those who have money, those who are well off. And I, as, I, as I said, I've, I've always hesitated to, to preach on financial stuff. But this is a great counterbalance. If I have to preach on financial stuff, I need to read this bit of the book of James. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, Oh, you sit here. Here's a nice place to sit. Uh, and you, you uh, um, say to the poor man, uh, You uh, stand there, maybe way in the back over there, uh, and, um, or, or sit here at my foot, at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill... The royal love according to the script, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, if you commit, you, if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That sounds an awful lot like Paul there. Uh, for he said, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, James is going to go on and sort of counterbalance this, but this as I say, sounds an awful lot like what the Apostle Paul is telling us. If you read Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about we were in slavery to sin. But in Christ, as we are baptized into Christ and die with Christ and are raised to this newness of life with Christ, we are freed from that. We are set free from that law of sin and death which prevented us from actually doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, as he says in Galatians. So this is the same gospel. James is telling us the same thing. We are set free. We are, the law that we are under now is the law of liberty. 
we might call it the law of grace if we were using Pauline terminology. Uh, but we, this, we have been set free to do the good that we were pre, that, that God has prepared for us to do from the very beginning, that God made us to do the good work that He has given us. And Christ sets us free. We are now, as servants of this law of liberty, we should be doing good things. But, he, but, says James, you mess it all up. Uh, he, also, he also says, as again, in very, very Pauline fashion, if you mess up even on one part of the law, you've destroyed your ability. You, you are a, tra- a transgressor of the law. You're a lawbreaker. Uh, so it doesn't really matter which part, you know, whether you, it's murder or adultery. If you committed one, you're a lawbreaker. Well, in this case, he's, he's singling out uh, the law, the royal law, he says, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we actually love our neighbor, that is to say, whoever we come into contact with, as we love ourselves, how in the world can we be showing partiality based on appearance, on wealth, on on riches, on privilege, on whatever. How, like, we, it just doesn't make any sense. You're, you're not, every, if every single person that you come into contact with is your neighbor, and you're not, and you're to love that neighbor as you love yourself, then the person who is annoying and smelly and not well-dressed and poor and whatever else is just as much made in the image of God as that rich, important politician who you happen to be blessed to have for dinner. Wait, why aren't you blessed to have the other guy for dinner as well? If we are partial, if we show this sort of partiality, James says, we're breaking the royal law, the law that Christ laid down for us. And you're a lawbreaker. But he says, so, 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 so he says, speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, exactly what we heard from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father is merciful. Show mercy. One last bit. What does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, go your way, be warm and well-fed, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What use is it? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith, eh? James says, you believe there is one God. 
That's faith, right? Great, you do well. The demons believe, and they tremble. So what use is that? I'm deserting a couple of things here, of course. Uh, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not our father, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I want to finish on this, really this amazing sort of wrapping up. I mean, there's three more chapters in James. They're all amazing. Go read them. Uh, um, um, but, but what really struck me, as I said, as I was rereading this, was just how there is absolutely no conflict between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James. They're saying the same thing. But the basic problem with us human beings is that as we grab something, as we grab hold of an idea, our tendency is to grab hold of like just one part of the idea because the ideas are big and complex. And so we grab one, the one part of the idea that we can, we can grasp and, and kind of wrap our brains around and we run with it. And then we run like off the cliff <laughs> with it. We, 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 every single heresy that has arisen in the church has been um, somebody taking a part of the idea and running with it. But you need the whole of it. And in this case, the, the whole idea of salvation, it's a, it's a big one. It's a hard one to work out. Uh, how is it that we can move from being these broken, messed up human beings that we know ourselves to be to being who God has made us to be? And one of the things that Paul makes really clear in his epistles and his, in his teaching is that uh, this whole notion that we can keep the law and earn our salvation through keeping the law is totally messed up. And we just heard the same thing in James here, right? As, as soon as you break one little bit of the law, there goes your hope of achieving salvation through keeping the whole law. And so Paul's emphasis is, therefore, in contrast to that, on, on grace, not unnaturally. That, that grace is that amazing gift of God, which he extends to us through Jesus Christ, and that as we unite ourselves to Christ in his death and his burial, we are also united to him in his resurrection life. And which sets us free from the law of sin and death, which was a re reigns in our members and gives us the ability to do what we were made to do in the beginning, which I think is exactly what James is referring to when he talks about the law of liberty. We often think about, you know, um, 
goodness, as though it's it's kind of just just this very uh, one thing, very boring. Uh, and and evil has this uh, intricate complexity. No, there's evil. Is, if anything, is the more boring of the two. Uh, it 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 all heads to a sameness of selfishness. Uh, but the um, but goodness is a, like a, a, a multifaceted mosaic in its application. There's so many different ways to be good. There's so many different opportunities to help and to love and to show good, God's goodness to one another. And we're, when we're no longer focused on ourselves and our selfish desires, and no longer controlled by those, then we have the opportunity to see all the goodness that God has laid out for us, all those good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do. We're set free. But this is all utterly and completely useless, as James points out. You know, if you, if you go all, all, too far in the direction of grace, of faith, faith alone, <clears throat> I love Luther in many respects, but I think inserting that word in the scriptures was a mistake. It's like, if, if, if it's, then it, it's, it, it becomes problematic. Because you have this amazing body of teaching, but it's absolutely useless unless you actually act it out, unless you do it. Paul, in his, again, in his epistle to the Romans, talks about Abraham, who believed God, said uh, that, that God's promise that he would be um, uh, the father of, of, of many nations, uh, and it was credited to him as righteousness. James says here that that was fulfilled when he offered up or was prepared to offer up Isaac on the altar in obedience to God. That faith was fulfilled in that work. They are two sides of the same coin. Ultimately, if you have faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you, that, that will manifest in the works that you do. But conversely, if your faith in Jesus Christ is just, you know, a whole bunch of ideas, it's very nice ideas, uh, and, you know, we should all really be like that, but I don't really feel like being like that today. So, I'm sorry. It's completely useless. So, it, it doesn't mean that, we can't, we, that, that faith isn't essential. Of course it's essential. What you put your faith in, what you believe, is absolutely key. But then you actually have to follow through and do it. Otherwise, you're just like the demons who believe that God exists, but tremble and do nothing that is good. As I say, James goes on, and I wish we could read the whole thing, but we see in James, the brother of our Lord, this heart for the teachings of Christ, of, but not simply for the teachings as a bunch of ideas, but for the teachings as that which saves us, that which makes us wise and beautiful and good. And so he simply tells us, look, this is what you have received. Now go and do it. Love one another with impartiality. Do good to the widows and orphans. 
and to the needy in your midst. Make sure that what you believe actually is worked out in your daily relationships with one another. And if you feel like you lack any wisdom, just ask God. And of course, he's going to give it to you because he is good and he loves us. He wants us to be truly his children to his glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages.